0: ...any other interesting particulars regarding himself, his fellow travellers, or the country in general, that could be compressed into the space of 60 seconds or thereabouts. And the visits were regularly and ruthlessly brought to an abrupt termination by the angry Now then, sir, of the guard and the reckless thrusting of the little gentleman into his second-class carriage, to the endangerment of his life and limbs, and the exaggerated display of authority on the part of the railway official." Mr. Bouncer's mercurial temperament had enabled him to get over the little misfortune that had followed upon his examination for his degree, but he still preserved a memento of that hapless period in the shape of a wig of curly black hair. For he found, during the summer months, such coolness from his shaven poll that, in spite of the mum's entreaties, he would not suffer his own luxuriant locks to grow, but declared that, till the winter at any rate, he should wear his gents' real head of hair. And, in order that our railway party should not forget the reason for its existence, Mr Bouncer occasionally favoured them with a sight of his bald head." and also narrated to them with great glee how, when a very starchy lady of a certain age had left their carriage, he had called after her upon the platform, holding out his wig as he did so, that she had left some of her property behind her, and how the passengers and porters had grinned, and the starchy lady had lost all her stiffening through the hotness of her wrath. "'York at last!' a half-hour's escape from the hot carriage and a hasty dinner on cold lamb and cool salad in the pleasant refreshment room hung round with engravings. Mr Bouncer's dinner is got over with incredible rapidity in order that the little gentleman may carry out his humane intention of releasing Huzz and Buzz from their locker and giving them their dinner and a run on the remote end of the platform at a distance from timid spectators, which design is satisfactorily performed and crowned with a douche bath from the engine pump. Then away again to the rabbit-hole of a locker, the smoky second-class carriage and the stuffy first-class, incarcerated in which black hole the plump Miss Bouncer, notwithstanding that she has removed her bonnet and all superfluous coverings, gets hotter than ever in the afternoon sun and is seen, ever and anon, to pass over her glowing face a handkerchief cooled with the waters of cologne. And when the man with the grease-pot comes round to look at the tyres of the wheels, the sight of it increases her warmth by suggesting a desire, which cannot be gratified, for lemon ice. Nevertheless, they have with them a variety of cooling refreshments, and their hot-house fruit and strawberries are most acceptable. The Misses Green have wisely followed their friend's example in the removal of bonnets and mantles and, as they amuse themselves with books and embroidery, the black hole bears, as far as possible, a resemblance to a boudoir. Charles Larkins favours the company with extracts from The Times, reads to them the last number of Dickens' new tale, or directs their attention to the most noteworthy points on their route. Mr. Verdon Green is seated vis-à-vis to the plump Miss Bouncer, and benignantly beams upon her through his glasses, or musingly consults his Bradshaw to count how much nearer they have crept their destination, the while his thoughts have travelled on in the very quickest of express trains and have already reached the far north. Thus they journey, crawling under the stately old walls of York, then with a rush and a roar, sliding rapidly over the level landscape, from whence they can look back upon the glorious Minster Towers standing out grey and cold from the sunlit plain then to Darlington, and on by porters proclaiming the names of stations in uncouth Dunelmian tongue, informing passengers that they have reached Firewheel and fence instead of Ferry Hill and Fence-Houses, and terrifying nervous people by the command to Change here for Doom, when only the propinquity of the Palatinate city is signified. And so on by the triple towers of Durham that gleam in the sun with a ruddy orange hue, on leaving to the left that last resting place of Bede and St Cuthbert on the rock, where his cathedral, huge and vast, looks down upon the weir, on past the wonderfully out-of-place Durham Monument, a Grecian temple on a naked hill among the coal pits, on with a double curve over the weir, laden with its Rhine-like rafts, on to grimy Gateshead and smoky Newcastle, and with a scream and a rattle over the wonderful high level, then barely completed, looking down with a sort of self-satisfied shudder upon the bridge, and the tyne, and the fleet of colliers, and the busy quays, and the quaint timber-built houses.